So, Louis, tell me how you feel about. Um, can you, can you talk about? Can you talk about like being a vampire? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brett Curlin, come on the pod. <laughs> Brett. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pockleb. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing another movie swap and one about monster movies. I watched Interview with the Vampire for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched Attack the Block. Just two very different approaches and different genres of said monster movies. Um, but I think it was a fun time. But before we get to all of that, Amanda, how are you doing? What have you been watching? I'm doing well. We were just talking uh, before recording that we've both been like extremely busy. So I haven't been able to watch a ton. Um, but I did watch, <laughs> I watched two movies since the last time we recorded. That's how busy I've been. I watched Attack the Block. <laughs> and then I also watched a movie called A Perfect Getaway. And this movie was so corny, but so wild. It was actually really fun. Like, premise is basically there are three couples that are on uh, this trip to Hawaii. And they're getting like news footage that a murderous couple has like run away to that same island. So now they're all sort of like trying to figure out who out of the three is the murderer. But the way the editing is, is like every like 12 minutes, there's like a hint that it's like this uh, one of the other couples. And then it's like this couple and then it's this couple. And it kind of just like keeps bouncing around. And it's so funny. Um, But it was really good. It was Chris Hemsworth first movie oh fascinating <laughs> it was wild so i watched that that was just like a fun way to spend some time and then i've just been watching game of thrones reruns oh yeah um we just met egret that's so lovely oh. um so it's just been because i think that house of the dragon right now is the only show i'm watching as it's coming out mm -hmm. so in the like i've got 45 minutes before i need to actually go to bed like let's just put something on i've been watching game of thrones reruns hey i support it and then by the time this comes out i think the season finale for uh hot d will be like one or two weeks um away from coming out so uh hopefully it's you know a, a fun time shout out to matt smith shout out to doctor who that's gonna be it won't be the last time we talk about doctor who no it will not and <laughs> i think it's actually like a pretty good show so far i've been pretty excited what have you been up to what have you been watching um first and foremost been watching a lot of vegas aces basketball uh they're yeah, in the middle of the finals right now hopefully by the time we're all listening to this we have been reveling in becky hammond asia wilson kelsey plum chelsea gray's first championship um the first championship in las vegas pro sports major pro sports uh, I've watched um, a few movies, lots on planes. Like I watched Set It Off on a plane ride recently. It's a heist movie with um, Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, uh, Queen Latifah from the 90s. Super fun, classic heist film. Um, I watched The Lady Eve, uh, fun little slapstick, screwball, romantic comedy with Barbara Stanwyck. And then most recently and most, uh, I guess, surprisingly, uh, I watched Good Luck to You, Leo Grant with um, Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormick, uh, who might be the most handsome man alive. Um, and surprisingly, such a sweet, heartwarming movie. Um, mostly just two people talking in a hotel room. And uh, probably the clubhouse leader for my biggest surprise of 2022. It's a teaser for you know a few months from now when we eventually do our favorites of the year with uh, our good friend Maya. 
and who loved this movie yeah she was one that she she's like i think it's in her top five right now we'll see where it is um by year's end but i would recommend it nice that's exciting well let's get into what we're watching yeah why don't you tell the people um why we decided to pair interview with the vampire and attack the block yeah so by the time this episode comes out it will be october it will be the beginning of spooky season so we wanted to watch some monster movies um and these are also just movies I feel like we've been trying to figure out where to watch. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question. I notoriously do like scary movies and you notoriously do not like scary movies. So I wanted to ask, do you think a monster movie has to be inherently scary? No, I don't think so. I think there have been so many iterations on quote unquote monster movies that like dramas can be monstrous. Like it, it, you could talk yourself into like Inglorious Bastards being a monster movie in a way, um, or there's straight up monster movies like like It Follows or apparently the the Barbarian for a recent example. Um, so I don't think they need to necessarily be scary. And like, uh, there's so many inversions. Like, if you wanted to be cute about it, like you can go Beauty and the Beast is a monster movie. Um, also true. <laughs> and for the listeners, Amanda rolled her eyes. Um, so I don't think it necessarily needs to be scary. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I was also thinking of like Godzilla, which like I oh, guess yeah. originally probably was a scary movie, but like is now just like an action movie. Right. Or like Pacific Rim is a like movie with monsters. Shape of Water could be a monster movie or like Pan's Labyrinth. There's, you know, GDT loves his little monsters. Yeah, The Shape of Water, I would say, is definitely a monster movie. Yeah. So um, everything is... Everything is everything, as as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Let's do that coin flip and let's get into it. All right. Call it. Uh, heads. It's tails. I feel like this is the first time I've won in like 2022. Let's talk about interview with the vampire. Yeah. Nice. All right, Zach. Tell me what happened in 1994's interview with a vampire. The Vampire Chronicles. <laughs> All right. The Interview with the Vampire, directed by Neil Jordan, written by Anne Rice, based on her novel of the same name. We open in modern-day San Francisco, where reporter Daniel Malloy, who is played by Christian Slater, is interviewing a man named Louis de Pointe de Locke, played by Brad Pitt, who claims to be a vampire. Uh, Louis then goes on to talk about his life in the 18th century in New Orleans, who, you know, after the death of his wife and unborn child, falls into kind of a life of debauchery and kind of waiting to die until he's attacked by a vampire named Lestat, played by Tom Cruise. Lestat offers Louis a vampire's life, and Louis accepts. Um, Louis quickly regrets it, though, as he cannot bring himself to come to terms with killing humans. Lestat tries to kind of teach uh, Louis the ropes in terms of how to live among the living uh, in New Orleans and seduce people and kill them, but again, uh, Louis just can't bring himself to do the actual killing part. Um, however, as a plague breaks out in New Orleans, Louis finally chooses to feed on a young girl whose mother has died from the plague, and Lestat kind of revels in this in like in really unhinged ways, uh, and it kind of embarrasses Louis, and he fr- he flees. Louis returns home, and Lestat reveals that he has turned the girl, who was named Claudia and portrayed by a young Kristen Dunst, into a vampire for them to raise as their child. Lestat raises Claudia more as like a protege, and she shows some prowess for hunting. While Louis fathers her lovingly and the two build a particularly special bond. When Claudia realizes that she cannot age and mature into a woman and it's thusly stuck as a child, she is pissed off. She goes crazy. 
and she kind of decides then to enact a revenge plot on Lestat. She tricks him into drinking the blood of a dead person and then slits his throat. Thusly, Louis and Claudia take Lestat's body into a swamp for him to just kind of rot. But all of a sudden, Lestat returns. He's still alive. He has survived on the swamp creatures. He looks like old Greg and tax Louis and Claudia. They overtake him and end up burning him. And he is apparently dead. From there, Louis and Claudia travel around Europe looking for other vampires without any real luck and end up settling in Paris and building a life for uh, themselves around 1870. There, Louis encounters Armand, who is played by Antonio Banderas, and they invite him to see their theater troupe where vampires stage a horror show for humans. And Armand offers to teach Louis, you know, what it means to be a vampire, how to be a vampire, and the history of vampires. Um, but he, on one condition, he demands that Louis sends Claudia away for her safety, but Louis does not want to do that. Claudia, kind of sensing this, asks Louis to turn a woman named Madeline into a vampire to become her new mother. But soon after, the theater troupe kidnaps the trio because they had read Louis' mind and kind of figured that he was culpable in Lestat's death. Armand does not do anything to help them, and eventually Claudia and Madeline are killed when they are exposed to sunlight. Louis is trapped in a coffin and kind of like buried alive, but Armand frees him. Louis uh, then burns the theater troupe, and Armand saves him and uh, offers to once again uh, be his companion and teacher, and once again, Louis, who is grieving Claudia, denies him. For decades and decades, he kind of just wanders aimlessly through grief, and eventually he returns to 1980s New Orleans and finds a weakened Lestat. They sort of reconcile, but Louis leaves him on his own once again. This returns us to the interview in modern day, and Malloy is so enthralled and asks Louis to turn him into a vampire himself, which kind of pisses off Louis for not understanding the suffering he has experienced. So he attacks him to scare him off, and Malloy leaves. Malloy drives off listening to the tapes. And while he's driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, Lestat pops out and attacks Malloy and gives Malloy the choice that Lestat never had on whether to become a vampire. How did I do? That was a long one. Uh, yeah, it's hard because like Lestat and Louis, like these are such like, there's so many names that are. Yeah, I might have mixed them up somewhere in the middle there. No, I think you did really good. And it also is like sort of a movie of scenes so you sort of can't skip any of the scenes and also uh, it covers 300 years more or less or yeah, give or take so that's also that's also <laughs> a part of it <laughs> um but first before we get into my thoughts about it why don't you tell me why you picked this movie so i watched this movie kind of young i think it must be a movie my mom likes because i remember watching it a bunch of like growing up mm -hmm. maybe not like a kid but like maybe like middle school um, but we had it on VHS, like that's how much uh, we would watch it. And I've always really liked this movie. I've I've liked all these three actors a lot, but it's also been coming up in conversation, I feel, with some movie podcasters that we like. And I can't tell if people like this movie, hate like this movie, or if they hate this movie. I have like no real sense of how anyone else feels about it, but... I really like it, so I wanted to put it on here, and I think it's just like, because it's so like in the conversation, I think it's like a good movie to see if you like movies. Yeah, this movie was not on my radar at all. Again, as a person who did not grow up watching any sort of spooky or violent movies, really, but now I was like, what is Interview with the Vampire? Realizing that Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and Antonio Banderas and Christian Slater and Kirsten Dunst are all in the same movie, it's like, oh, um, this probably mattered in some capacity, so you know, I'm glad I watched it. And it's also essentially like a period drama. Yeah. But under like a different 
like a uh, veil. Right. It's not like Amadeus. It, it's also half the time. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's very true. In the August this or that poll, Amadeus got no votes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was tough sledding, you know, it was, it was against some stiff competition. I was say, to be fair, it went up against uh, like the number one movie <laughs> of American say- history. <laughs> <laughs> but come on, no votes. <laughs> All right. So what are some of your first impressions? What stood out to you? So I try to come to every movie with like very few preconceived notions. But as I was renting this movie on whatever streaming service I was renting it on, I couldn't help but like think, God, this movie is about to be dumb. Like just knowing like the stills and just seeing like the makeup and like Tom Cruise <laughs> like acting. Yeah, he's so ridiculous. I was like, this there's no way this is gonna be good, but maybe it'll be fun. And it's at least definitely unhinged. And I was like, how the hell did this movie happen? Like how the hell did this movie get two of the biggest movie stars? of the 90s especially tom cruise and make a lot of money like and this had a pretty big budget for a vampire movie i think it was like 60 or 70 million and it turns out you know this movie was or the screenplay was kind of in development hell for decades as Anne rice tried to get this story made the books were popular the vampire chronicles were popular and so eventually i was just like all right let me just i just need to like watch this movie and take it as it is and it really starts to open up to establishing this relationship between lestat and louis that is like incredibly sensual and like erotic and also brotherly and also um just very layered and kind of it wasn't obviously metatextual back then but is now um in a way that i think is pretty fun yeah i think this is one of the first like gay vampire movies (laughs) (laughs) well yeah so i I think vampire is inherently gay so well yes yeah so i read uh (laughs) um i feel like that'd be more fun twilight but uh we i was reading that uh ann rice when she was trying to get this movie made at one point even tried to flip louis gender to get hollywood to make it because of like to make the undertones overtones um if it was a more straight relationship but they still made it with tom cruise and brad pitt who are two very attractive people particularly brad pitt um i was reading an article on bright wall dark room by um megan burnovich and she kind of described Lestat as uh, confirmations that vampires are quite literally horror's most enduring thirst trap. Um, cause, yeah. Yeah, because Lestat's like basically a fuckboy when we meet him. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like Lestat's kind of a fuckboy throughout the whole thing. He's like, likes being a vampire. He loves it, and he loves relishing, he loves relishing in the seduction and the... Yeah. the slow demise and like kind of horror of someone realizing what's happening to them um which you know obviously terrifying um but it's also funny because it's tom cruise and you're seeing tom cruise prance around with a corpse or um just kind of torment these women in ways where he kind of ensnares them while louis and is just watching in somewhat horror and i feel like brad pitt has made a career out of being magnetic without having to do a bunch and so it kind of is a fun play you know 30 years later a fun play on their personas as actors it also reminds me i mean this is not a vampire movie nor monster movie but it reminds me a lot of his role in eyes wide shut where it's like a little over the top very mysterious very like in the shadows of the night 
Um, and I didn't really notice that until I watched it this time. Mm-hmm. Also, a very sexual movie, very like a sensually enticing movie. Yeah, and I th- I think it's fun that um you know since this story within a story is being told from Louis's perspective, he acts as the audience surrogate, and so as we're looking at uh, Lestat and kind of either in horror or intrigue or just blasphemy that's also what louis is feeling and i did think it was kind of funny that uh as louis has kind of been fed up and wants to essentially break up with lestat lestat's like let's have a kid that'll fix everything and they bring claudia yeah. into the mix but their relationship is really the backbone of of this movie yeah absolutely i'm not sure if you read in your research but like brad pitt very famously hated making this movie which like that is sort of like why Louis is a little bit more like brooding and moody. Like in the book, he's not nearly as like emo, I guess. And it just was like Brad Pitt being like, I fucking hate this movie. I like Tom Cruise is crazy. Tom Cruise would make him, Brad Pitt, and Kirsten Dunst hang upside down for an hour and a half before getting their makeup done to bring all like the blood out of their face. Like craziness. <laughs> It sounds like something Topanga would do um, in Boy Meets World. Um, it, it, it's yeah. such a weird spot of Brad Pitt's career, too, because um, this is only three years after Thelma and Louise, if you want to call that his uh, kind of breakthrough. He does A River Runs Through It in 92, True Romance in 93, and then this movie. Like the, He hasn't done seven yet. He doesn't have his um, Oscar-nominated performance in 12 Monkeys. Like He's still kind of young heartthrob, and... Obviously, this is a big swing because he's the center of the movie. He kind of seems like Jasper in the first Twilight movie where like Jasper is like trying to become vegetarian for the first time and just is trying not to lose his mind. But that kind of turned around whenever um, Claudia is introduced and then you have Tom and Brad as Kirsten Dunst's fathers and adds a much needed heart to the movie in a really cynical way. Mm-hmm. I thought Brad Pitt and Kirsten Dunst had like a really lovely chemistry. I know the relationship gets weird as we get along and you have like the whole full-grown person trapped in a child's body um and Kristen Dunst being 12 in this movie and all those things but uh, I I thought she played so well with these two guys who weren't the most stable of scene partners I feel like you know yeah Um, probably not and and and, you know Kristen Dunst has talked about how like wonderful the experience was for her on set and they were really just like older brothers and really rooting for her um but it couldn't have been easy I mean it's maybe it's one of those cases where like she didn't know what she didn't know, and so she was just doing her job. Um, but I really enjoyed their little family of three they had for a few minutes there. I believe I'm correct in saying that this was her first like big motion picture, mm-hmm. and for her to be like with Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, and then later Antonio Banderas, and like be still a a standout role and be like swinging with them at the same time is such a nod to like how truly authentically talented she is. It's funny to hear her talk about the experience of making this movie because it seems like she's doing so much um, high-level acting in this movie, but it would be like her acting coach telling her, you know, that you're supposed to be kind of leering in this scene, but just kind of make a face where you stole your brother's toy and you know where it is, but you don't want to tell him. Um, And it's just that simple, but again, speaks to Kirsten Dunn's talent and she is a national treasure of 30 years at this point the other thing that's really quickly or the last thing that stood out right away was as louis is mourning claudia movies come along in the 1900s and 
he really relishes in being able to see sunrises and the blue waters. And it's a real quick, like, movies matter moment, which I thought was kind of funny and a little bit of a nod to, uh, you know, the filmmaking industry. Louis, come on the pod. Louis, we would also like to do an interview with a vampire. I think Louis would love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> like, that, that blue water is as blue as anything I've ever seen in my life. It is very blue. That's true. <laughs> I, I agree. I definitely noted that this time around, um, especially like after, you know, the pandemic and having been in quarantine for so long and using movies as like an escape. Mm -hmm. I definitely related to like movies can bring you to a place you can't currently be and like all that kind of stuff. So I get you, Brad. Well, what else have you thought about most since you watched this movie? Dude, immortality seems like it sucks. Like, I know that like that's a a real common lesson in stories however this movie really just focuses on the fact that if you live forever and you're by yourself like that's the greatest horror and that kind of speaks to like louis being really tortured by the whole thing um and his early adventure of trying to learn about the history of vampires and find other other vampires because like you just gotta chill with these people every night yeah i mean the whole thing is about like he's basically narrating his memoir mm -hmm. and like if you live a very long time whether you're 90 or whatever like there is just like a sense of like well everyone I know is like not here anymore or like everyone I loved or like grew up with like blah 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 if you like outlive so many of the people in your life like it's obviously very lonely um, but imagine if you did that for like 500 years mm -hmm. with like no end in sight like it just is uh and, and i think that this movie is centered on emotion a lot more than it is about like look at these flashy sexy vampires right yeah. which is sort of like how vampire movies became and nothing wrong with it don't come after me twilight people i saw all the twilight movies but like i think that this it gets in before sort of like twilight reinvents what the pop culture vampire is. Yeah, and I think this was probably the most mainstream vampire story up until Twilight. It was the most successful financially, like in the box office and stuff. Uh, most financially successful vampire movie ever. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Twilight started to come out. Um, so now it is the most successful vampire movie rated R. <laughs> yeah. And and again, I I think the movie kind of focuses and this is what kind of stood out to me is that you know, these monsters, if you want to call vampires monsters, their greatest fear is being alone. Like Lestat yeah. is just begging Louis and Claudia to stay with them. Uh Louis is heartbroken whenever Claudia dies. Claudia is literally like you're going to leave me, so give me somebody else to like go through this life with. Um even even uh Armand is doing the same thing, right? The second thing, again, I mentioned this earlier, I'm like, is Brad Pitt good in this movie? Um, and I, I honestly still don't know. And maybe that's where the breaking point is for most people. Again, I mentioned the 90s, early 90s were a weird time for Brad Pitt as he is trying to cultivate both his acting career and his movie stardom um, and kind of go from outright heartthrob and mature into something else. Um, obviously, this is still early in his career, um, but... I kind of went back and forth. I, I think what the real answer is, is he's good in pockets and not as good in other pockets. Um, 
particularly whenever it's just Lestat and Louis together early. Um, it seems like he just isn't willing. And I know the character isn't willing to like get up to Lestat's level, but it seems like Brad Pitt is also just like, what the hell did I get myself into? Okay, here's my theory. I think Brad Pitt is a very good actor, and I like Brad Pitt a lot. I don't think Brad Pitt in general, like in his life, is a weird guy, and thus <laughs> he cannot play a weird guy. I think he can play but weird. He just can't play like I don't like name a role where he's been a weird guy. He's pretty weird in Burn After Reading. I guess so, but that's like also a very particular um, Coen Brothers weird. Not like uh, Tom Cruise wants to hang upside down for an hour and a half to make sure that his vampire makeup looks correct. Weird. And those are just like different acting styles. No, and, like but I'm, I don't I'm, think I don't think Leo DiCaprio is a weird guy, and I think Leo's our best actor. Like I don't think that like there are just certain people who like Brad can't be weird because like Brad's not an Brad's like a popular jock, not like. Well, that's what I think. That's I think we're saying the same dude. thing. I don't think he can be whatever weird he needs to be in vampire movies, but he's like weird as hell in the counselor, um, or like the kickass movies. He's kind of weird in the big short too, but it's not, it's, it's magnetic weird or it's like quirky it's weird, weird or it's goofy weird or airheaded weird. And it's not whatever the fuck Louis is supposed to be. Yeah. He's not theater kid weird. Yeah. Brad, I would never want Brad Pitt to be like in the Joker. No, that's why we have other actors like Joaquin Phoenix. Weird. Tom Cruise. Weird. Both of those people also excellent actors. Yeah. Like that's great. But like, I would say like, Ben Affleck, Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio. Those are just like not weird dudes. Like I think they're like very straight and narrow, just like good jockey drama men. Yeah. No, I, yeah. And they're good in those. And then like those that's excellent that they're good in those roles. Um, but I think that that's like part of it is like if you put like young like young Brad was like also good at like playing like a hot guy. <laughs> And then they're like, what if you're a vampire? And he's like, hmm. <laughs> I, I do think he would have been interesting in Lestat's role. It wouldn't have been as like campy and, and like unhinged, but it would have been the charm would have exuded in a certain way. And I think he could have sunk his teeth into it. I don't know if he could have done it in when this movie was made, but maybe a few years later where you can kind of play on the movie stardom a little bit. I do. And I, I like Brad Pitt in this role. Also, like I think Brad Pitt is like a gorgeous yeah in this role i love brad in like all like the old school like the old regalia there's great and, like, capes in the, this movie the billowing shirts yeah and the long hair is like so fun he's like sort of in that look right now <laughs> not as not as long as this movie but but i think that he plays the like dramatic and romantic parts like very well i think he just doesn't play vampire well <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> i think we've seen a million times where brad pitt has excelled in certain roles um and again yeah. he, he does excel in pockets he has like an endearing relationship with claudia as kind of a surrogate father he yeah. does sort of play well as the audience surrogate whenever we're watching tom cruise do his thing and i think you know that plays on brad pitt's strengths as not like a sidekick but like as second billing instead of the central driving force in the movie yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is also like such a great reflective role for Tom Cruise because like Tom Cruise is someone who is like 
so over the top and so loud that like you have to watch him all the time. And like if I think that like Brad possibly could have played Lestat, but I don't think that Tom could have played Louis. Like I think like Louis is too muted of a character for like the wildness that Tom Cruise was, especially in the early nineties. I think if Tom Cruise would have been Louis, it would have just been more outright tortured on his face. Like he would have really yeah. sank his teeth into the rats. We would have definitely gotten Tom Cruise crying face in some scenes. Um, and you would have really been like viscerally seeing Louis come to terms with his life now. Um, whereas Brad Pitt is kind of giving it like, I am dead. Anyway, so, you know, thought a lot about Brad in this movie. I probably will think a lot about Brad in this movie a lot more because uh, he has some roles coming up this year. But um, mm-hmm. shout out to Babylon. But the Babylon, which is a movie I think he's going to be weird in. Um, but Brad Pitt's kind of so. weird. Um, this is a campaign for weird Brad. Yeah, we love weird Brad. Obviously, the other thing I thought about a lot is Kirsten Dunst, um, real showstopper, show stealer in this movie, big breakthrough role for her, um, and really precious stories from set when she was going on her campaign for Power of the Dog. Um, obviously, you got a lot of look back content these days around Oscar season. So, obviously, an interview with a vampire came out. And so some of the tidbits that I, I, I read as I looked up uh, her experience on this movie, um, she was very complimentary of Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, kind of called them older brother figures, what older brothers to have. Um, she did say that kissing Brad on the lips was horrible because he was like an older brother and he had like cooties. And also like it made a lot of people uncomfortable to see a 12 year old kissing a 20 whatever year old Brad was in this movie. It, they would it, not like House of the Dragon. Right. I was going to say, like, there's no Targ <laughs> vibes. But I also think, like, we, uh, going back to other monster movies, did allow a movie where a woman has a relationship with a fish monster to win Best Picture. Right. But I feel like we've, mo- we've moved past this as a society. And also, I don't think that relationship was ever sex. Like, Kirsten Dunst was never even close to sexualized in this movie at no. all. Like, I was watching Leon the Professional last week, which was a good movie. But there is moments where they kind of sexualize Natalie Portman. And if you look into the history of like the people who made that movie, it makes it a lot more uncomfortable. And what I'm saying is that Kirsten Dunst was never in, in that kind of situation in the making of this movie. Uh, I also enjoyed her talking about Tom Cruise. Uh, she was talking about how during the audition process, you know, it was lengthy and she knew that this could be a big breakthrough role for her um, because Kirsten Dunst is always more sentient than the average whatever year old you want to put. And she said she felt like Tom Cruise was rooting for her like helping her during Mm -hmm. the audition process because I guess she was like taller than all the girls. So whenever he needed to, whenever Tom needed to pick her up during the audition, he was like, just tuck your legs in so you look shorter Uh, and and small stuff like that. And she she was like, you know, we're both from Jersey. So maybe that's why Um, it took a shine (laughs) to me. But it's nice to know that these guys are like humans. I mean, Tom Cruise, who knows, but have some human moments. I do know that after working together on this movie that Kirsten Dunst is still on the Tom Cruise cake. Oh, yeah. Like, she gets a cruise cake still. Yeah. Like, that That shows, like, all these years later, like, how they still have, like, that's, like, 28 years. They still have, like, such a good relationship that, like, the Dunst family is still getting a cruise cake at Christmas. I wonder if Jesse Plemons is, like, stoked about that as a person who, like, was a guy who grew up in the 90s, like, He's on the Tom Cruise bunt cake list. I need to try that cake. I need to go out to LA and try the white chocolate coconut, whatever it is. Um, Maybe you, me, and Maya can make that happen at some point. Um, I should order one for the Oscars. Yeah, this is the Oscars to do it because Top Gun Maverick. Okay, that's set. Um, Yeah. Last little tidbit. We'll have Brad and Tom at the Oscars probably. Oh, what what a time. 
thank God. And yep. and, and Michelle Yeoh, and none of them are going to win. Last little dunst uh, tidbit from uh, her reflection on this movie. She said, quote, honestly, the worst thing I had to do was bite this person's neck, who was really sweaty. I was grossed out by it. That was the worst thing, end quote. That's so sweet. I feel sad that I like came late to the whole Kirsten Dunst thing. Like My relationship to her was only Mary Jane Watson, a true gem of the industry. My note for Kirsten Dunst that I wrote like in my notes just says Kirsten Dunst is a fucking icon. Yeah. <laughs> that scream that she unleashes is so good. And I must have watched this like movie so young because like that just like inherited like it just like imprinted itself in my brain. And like I think about it often. Like the scene, like how close the camera gets on her big old curls her big eyes and just like her mouth is like half of her face at this point and she just screams so loud it's like one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie that scene is also like the most uncomfortable scene for me just because like the the corpse yeah underneath the dolls i was like oh god that was the most unsettled i got um hey honestly if i got stuck with that those curls uh for the rest of my life i think i might kind of go crazy too shout out to joanna robinson on wig watch uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I love no, it. Dunst is iconic. I noticed it this time more than any other time I've watched it, and I'm very bad at picking up accents, like bad accents. But I love that just like halfway through, like Tom oh, Cruise God, yeah. is just like talking like Tom Cruise. <laughs> 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 like the end scene, like he could be in Magnolia, he could be <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut, like he could be in fucking any movie he's ever been in. In that last scene. <laughs> Dude, him and Brad Pitt like are really half hearting this accent situation. I get it, like they're both in the new world and whatever, uh, and the accents are kind of vague, but like they both kind of sound like how <laughs> I attempted to speak French in Paris, where I'd just be like, "S'il vous plaît," like, <laughs> like you know, "Merci," yeah. like real, real hesitant. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, I did clock that one time. Where I was like, "Is he still trying to?" No, are no, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right it was so funny I, and i think it's funny because like he goes all out on like the whole rest of the character um ex- except the like accent but like around like the one and a half hour mark he's like I'm yeah with this <laughs> i'm over uh, it yeah oh my god it's so funny all right what were some of the things that you looked up about the movie afterward so obviously i looked up the kirsten dunn stuff and the brad pitt stuff but after that, I also looked up, like, how did Tom Cruise, of all people, get this role? And apparently when he was cast, it was um, controversial, to say the least. A lot of people who are fans of the novels thought it was a miscast. They were like, why on earth is is Maverick going to be in this movie? And Anne Rice, the, the author and the screenwriter, didn't want him at all. But he really dove into it. He sunk his teeth into it. That's, that's no pun intended. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse. But he, he read all the books, he lost weight, he learned piano, um, and at the end, Anne Rice was like, oh, you know what, This was he is Lestat, um, he, he makes it work. But uh, there was a lot of people tied to this role because it was in development hell, like I said earlier, for decades. So um, it's kind of crazy to dive into the lore of who was supposed to be Lestat, and it's like both unhinged and also like really grounded. So uh, I'll let you kind of take it away since you're the one that uh, has a better grasp on who almost played Lestat. Yeah. So I love that like Anne Rice eventually just like gave up and was like, fine, um, whatever, you, you can do this. 
Um, but it was originally written for Travolta, the other famous Scientologist. Um, but then after Travolta, it was supposed to be Hanks. And she thought that Hanks would be good after his role in Philadelphia, which sort of goes along with this like, um, like sensual aspect of it. But he was booked up um, and he wasn't playing Forrest Gump, I believe. So he was on, was not available. Um, and then, which is so funny, I could not imagine Tom Hanks as Lestat. Like out of all of the people listed, I that's the I feel last like it would have gotten like kind of Beetlejuicy. Yeah, it's just so wild. Okay, so then after Tom Hanks, it was supposed to be Daniel Day Lewis, and then um, Johnny Depp, and then Jeremy Irons, and then eventually it was Tom Cruise. Which like I could see almost all those people in it, except for Tom Hanks. But I love that Cruise was like, no, no, no I'm I'm still here. I like really want to do this. Right. She's like, fine. I've now been through like. All of the people I could think of. So yeah. I guess you can do it. That's funny. I was trying to think like who could have also played it or who would play it now. Like Mads Mickelson always comes up with this stuff, like for this type of role for me or Bill Skarsgård. Um, oh, the Skarsgård. Yeah. Yeah. Or it would be funny if both Skarsgårds were in it. But yeah, no, I think it was actually kind of endearing to see like Anne Rice be like, you know what? Tom Cruise was the right choice for this role. And then obviously I had to know what people thought of this movie. Um, especially considering its reputation, like you mentioned earlier, is a little mixed. The reviews were mixed, but um, roundly complimentary of of the score. Elliot Goldenthal, production design from Dante Ferretti and Francesca Lo Schiavo. Um, they were both nominated for Academy Awards for that. And so I think that's cool. And then Kirsten Dunst obviously was roundly considered the standout performance uh, of the movie. And then last thing, I was just, you know, this coming from a series of books. I wondered if there was any sequels or anything. Um, there was a standalone sequel that was uh, called Queen of the Damned, which was roundly panned. It was also Aaliyah's last movie. Um, just kind of oh, wild. <laughs> Have you seen it? I've seen like the first couple minutes. I was like, <laughs> I'm not participating in this. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And then lastly, AMC is doing a television adaptation of Interview with a Vampire, um, which I literally saw previews of like very recently and i was like oh well that timing worked out um that'll have sam reed of L- as lestat and jacob anderson as louis um so we'll see how that goes all right are there any questions that you have about the movie things that didn't make sense or just like things that you've thought of so amanda we both are people in content creation we both went to journalism school we know how to interview people I'd like I, to I would like think to say, so. yeah, you know, <laughs> shout out to Brett Kurland, you know, for the interview cinema- seminar at the Cronkite yeah, yeah, School. Yeah. No devs. First, how would you have gone about uh, your interview with Louis? And second, how do you think Malloy did with his interview with Louis? Okay, so you also failed the Brett Kurland School of Interviewing by asking two questions in one. I truly think with this subject and this story, Malloy did pretty well in in doing the if you shut up your subject will talk a lot method of doing an interview. Um, I think that that is not that bad. There is no way he could have researched this ahead of time. Right. Not a lot of questions you can really prep. Um, maybe ask some like deeper clarifying questions about like slave ownership to like really <laughs> understand the topic, but like, and to like make sure that your uh, article is accurate, but Yeah, everybody. But other than that, I feel like this is a perfect example of just like let your subject 
have the floor record everything and if you if you don't talk they will fill the silence and i mm-hmm. think that's what he did and i that, that may be how i would have gone about it as well well i think it kind of leans more toward your interests and and experience with you can kind of take a true crime angle to it it, it kind of is like come interview the serial killer or come in like this person wants to tell you about their life but it's like it, it it's if you didn't know any of their crimes though right yeah they're kind of admitting everything um i personally would have just gotten freaked out i think malloy's biggest mistake is becoming seduced by the idea of becoming a vampire the thing is that on whether malloy did a good job or not is whether he chooses to become a vampire and then interviews lestat because you need that second source to like verify or push against like he's in the infancy of this story right i I honestly have no clue how i would go about it i think i would do the same thing and just be like all right you know what let's take five let's let me come back to you like three days from now um because this is about to be the start of like a year's a year's long journey um into this story right because like you have to kind of you can't just like put it out there no you got to do a lot of fact checking um, you have to go to a movie with Louie to get sort of like oh, that experience. That's a great that's a great idea. Yeah, you gotta like write about like what he orders at the movie, if he does order anything. Um, does he I feel like Louie's a bring your own snacks kind of guy if you get my drift. Is- um, <laughs> <laughs> Just, um I- BY BYO blood? BYO yeah. body. <laughs> and uh, I think honestly the biggest mistake, obviously the biggest mistake he does is like completely miss the whole point. Right. Which is just like so frustrating. But the second biggest mistake is that he lets Louie walk around the room as he's talking. There's no way you're getting all of that picked up on your tiny recorder, my guy. Also, oh. that recorder is so small and there's no way it's recording on a cassette that's a big enough to fit into your car. I feel like Brad Pitt cannot stand across the room and look out the window and talk out the window. Yeah. And then you on the table are going to pick up everything he's saying. I mean, you know, he's definitely writing notes too, so it's okay. You're like, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Um, At what age did that child try to kill someone? Uh, (laughs) How many people did you raise her to murder? Right. She was 12, (laughs) but with how many years of experience? Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Uh. Yeah, it, I think my last question that I'll ask, and it's kind of piggybacking off of your point, is which movie would you want to most see with Louis? I definitely would have wanted to be there the first time he saw The Wizard of Oz. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I always think about that when he's like, and then like it had color, and then I could like see the blue of the ocean yeah, and things like that. Um, That's a really big one. I think... Um, you know, just for shits and giggles, why not go see Twilight? I was gonna say, like, like, would he just be like, "This is how it's really done," you know, like when we watch like a journalism movie or something, you're like, "Ah, that's a little dramatic." Yeah. Um. What? Maybe like Blade. That could be kind of fun. I wonder if that would be distressing. Other vampire movies. I think he hates vampires, so maybe he would have been on Blade's side. Yeah. Um. Things like The Lord of the Rings. I was gonna say Star Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same idea of like these like big fantasy stories or like things you could never imagine in like the 18th century when like he was like first seeing movies. I think that's really beautiful. I feel like he would be a <laughs> <laughs> no, because like think, look, I just, I just, uh, <laughs> Louis is a lover of film, and so am I. 
I think that's really beautiful. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking about him watching these, like, these adventure films and, like, you know, like, not everybody who watches literally Dracula gets to watch also, uh, <laughs> like, what if, bring it what on. If, I'd also, yeah. I'd also want to watch Louis watch, like, Goodfellas. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck is happening? He would love A24. All yeah, the water? So much water. Waves, all the time in Florida. Yeah. So much time in Florida. Which of Louis, <laughs> which Tom Cruise movie do you think Louis would have liked the most? I mean, Top Gun has a lot of water. A lot of sunshine. It'd be funny if Lou is the type of guy who like watches Mission Impossible and be like, that violence is a little much. Yeah, I think that because he's a little, he's a little like not like prudish, but like he's a little like to himself. I like don't he would hate the he... John Wick movies. Yes, too violent. Yeah, way too. That's what I'm saying. Like way too violent. Um, but for some reason, he would like Casino. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wonder. I wonder if he would identify with something like Basic Instinct. Oh, and like that's erotic good. thrillers. Yeah. Louis loves movies. Um, I would have loved to see uh, The Wizard of Oz. That's my answer. <laughs> I think I think uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ant Man. Like you gotta like one of the ones that like doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Thor: A Dark World. <laughs> this is like a, a, st- a second pod. Like <laughs> movies with Louis. That's a great pod. <laughs> Again, Louis, come on the pod. <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> In- interview. A vampire <laughs> with Zach and Amanda. Um, do you have any other questions or, or comments for me? In my quest to find out if people like this movie, l- like to hate this movie, or actually hate this movie, did you like this movie? I'm pretty sure I think I like this movie. <laughs> Not convincing. <laughs> um, I was watching it and I was like, I don't know if Zach will actually like this. I just want him to understand it, though. I'm happy I watched it, obviously. I'm happy I can accurately make jokes about it. I will forever think about which movies Louis will love. <laughs> Anytime I watch something, I'll be like, man, Louis's going to love this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he, you know, like, think about him watching Get Out and, like, the self-reckoning. I feel like Louis would really cry at the father of the bride. Like, I think that, that would touch him. Oh, lot. absolutely. I love yeah. that. Um, God, if Boy. I ever meet Brad Pitt, this is going to be my thing. I'll be like, all right, Brad, love your work. However... The thing that lives free in my mind is like, which movies would Louis love? And he's like, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> I think he would enjoy it. I think we would have a great conversation. Brad, come on the pod. Brad as Louis, come on the pod. I, I, I don't I I don't know if I like this movie either. <laughs> See? I I get it. I like I just, parts of it. I just am never gonna fire it up again. That's what I think. I don't think that people know how to feel about this movie. The point of this podcast is to be like, you know what? This really isn't my lane, but let me try it anyway. But I feel like every single time we do it, I I take away. I'm like, this is like maybe one of my new favorite movies. And you're like, I never want to watch this again. No, but that's because like I have I have like an easier time with it because like you're more TV anyway. So I get to be like, oh, Casablanca, Creed, <laughs> like you know, it's just like. You, me, and a therapist. Talk about why you don't like any of the movies I choose. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Anyway, Interview with the Vampire fucking slaps. And uh, I'm glad that we watched it. The movie rocks. I'm glad you have things you love. 
Oh yikes! I'm with I'm with Sean. That doesn't feel good. I'd rather you just say you don't like it. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Let's Jesus go. Christ. Let's go to South London. This podcast is not at all sponsored by Wilson Camera in Scottsdale. It's an excellent place to get your film cameras, your rolls of film, and all of your 35mm shots developed. They're a small, local shop, and they're always there to answer your questions. Plus, they've always got really cool stuff in store. Stop by, grab some rolls of film, and just have a lot of fun. And stop getting your film developed at CVS. That's chump business. We support local here. Support Wilson Camera and support local businesses. you to go home lock your door do your homework and watch Naruto. amanda you watch attack the block i always know you're gonna do that but it always surprises me <laughs> why don't you tell me what happened in this movie all right i might miss some things but you also have to do it in entirely in a south london accent i absolutely will not be doing that allow it um, okay movie starts as sam played by jody whittaker is robbed by a group of teen boys featuring moses played by john boyega Nearby, a meteor crashes down and Sam escapes. The boys go and check out the meteor, and a creature scratches Moses in the face. They chase after it and kill it before seeing that it's an alien. They think they can make money off of it, so they bring it to the safest place they know, Ron's weed room. Moses asks to see Ron's boss, Hi-Hats, who is also a local drug dealer slash gang leader. Meanwhile, Sam is reporting her robbery to the police, so the police go out looking for the group of boys with Sam. More things crash down from the sky while they're at Ron's, so the boys arm themselves with anything they can find to go check it out, but these ones are much more dangerous than the first one. They are sort of like black and fluffy with multiple rows of glowing blue teeth. As they're out hunting them, Sam and the police come across the group of boys and arrest Moses for robbery. The police get eaten by the aliens, and they drive away in the police car only to physically run into hi-hats, making him very mad. At this point, Sam runs away again. The boys go to their tower block while running away from the aliens. One is forced to hide out, and one gets bit pretty bad. They find out that they live in the same block as Sam, and they ask her to stitch up the bite that Pest got because she is a nurse. The aliens find Moses and the boys in Sam's apartment, attack, um, but Moses ends up killing one with a sword. Sam, now realizing that they are not lying and uh, believes in the aliens, joins them in their journey, and they all venture to the apartment of their friends, their like girlfriends. Um, here, the aliens attack again, killing one of their friends. Meanwhile, Hi-Hats is still chasing them. But he also gets confronted by the aliens, and he is the only one out of his group to survive. The boys all go to Ron's weed room for safety, losing another friend along the way. In the room, they talk with one of Ron's other customers, 
who suggests the first alien produced a pheromone that is now on Moses because he was attacked by the alien in the first place. And they and they, he like touched it. And these other ones are chasing it down to breed and populate this new planet. Moses devises a plan to be used as bait. Sam opens up all of the gas lines in his room. Moses lures the aliens into there and sets fire to the room using the fireworks in order to kill all of the aliens. He escapes by holding onto a flag or something like it um, out the window, and we see that he is okay. The police still arrest him for the deaths of the other people and the robbery, while all while the block is chanting his name, knowing that he is the real hero of the story. I feel like I did okay. Yeah, this movie is like kind of insane to describe, which is also <laughs> a plot point in the movie. Um, so I think you did solid. So why did you choose this movie for me? First of all, I don't watch a lot of monster movies, so it was a little um, thin pickings. But um, also, this is one of the best, like most fun sci-fi films of the 2010s. It introduces John Boyega and also includes Jodie Whittaker, um, both who would go on to star in some of the biggest sci-fi franchises of all time. Um, Modern cult classic for real, for real. Uh, And sneaky stoner movie as well, which is always a fun little uh, tidbit. Oh, I wish I had known that. Shout out to Ron's Weed Room. I know it's like a probably the smallest film that we've ever talked about um, on this show, probably both in box office and both and probably in like the amount of people who have watched it. But uh, you know, for you, since you have watched it, what stood out to you? What were your first impressions? So I didn't know much about it, um, and I didn't know that Jodie Whittaker was in it. So Jodie Whittaker, um, I like for a lot of reasons, and she was in. I first saw her in Black Mirror. Um, and then I think I saw her next in Broadchurch, which was a show I loved, but she ended up um, playing the doctor, which is, she was the first female doctor. She's Dr. 13, um, which was very exciting. So, but this is the same year that Jodi's episode of Black Mirror came out. So this was like, I think really when she was skyrocketing to a much different place than she had been because she had been working for quite a while at that point. Um, so it was just fun to see her. I like seeing young Jodie Whittaker and anything. She's so funny. Um, I think she actually got to use her real accent because she does have like a very thick accent um, in real life. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, David Tennant made a podcast where he basically just like interviewed all the famous people he knows. And their episode is very cute. She was in the entire history of you, right? I believe. Yeah. 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 Which With is like the, roundly um, considered the best like or one of the top like Black Mirror episodes. Absolutely yeah. devastating. Um. Yeah, I, I figured you would enjoy that little tidbit of it because I know you're really tapped into British uh, TV and just uh, anything that connects to Doctor Who. Definitely fun to see uh, Jodie Whittaker in this early. Yeah. So obviously the standout role is John Boyega. This was like his uh, movie debut. He was a theater actor before this role. He went to acting school. Um, That's like extremely common for British actors. He uh, actually played Othello in the performance of Othello um, for quite a while on stage. And I feel like that would have been incredible. Um, so I would have loved to see that. Um, but even as a, a young lad, he's very handsome. John Boyega is very classically handsome. Mm-hmm. I That was very fun. <laughs> um, and then just some half-assed quick internet research showed me that he found this role from an online advertisement. And I hope that's true. It's so crazy that he he has such a presence as a 19 year old. Even at that young, he kind of has this like stoicism 
And like, there's some pretty corny dialogue in this movie, but I think he never betrays like the coolness and like the composed leader role that Moses plays in the group and on the block. Uh, and when I first watched this movie, it made me kind of mad um, for how his he had a bad break in Star Wars and like the character of Finn when it could have been like really cool. Um, but you know, John Boyega has been in a lot of cool movies and um, will be in a lot of cool movies, so that's okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm like, what a way to like be introduced to the American audience. It's better, worse places than Star Wars. Right, exactly. And <laughs> also, why doesn't he get to use his British accent in I Star know. Wars? I feel like he has done a lot since like wrapping that final movie oh, yeah. to speak out openly against Disney um, and some of the decisions that they made. Um, which has been really great. But I feel like this movie like started off very corny and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Um, <laughs> but by the end of it, I was like pretty into it. Um, yeah. Somewhere like in that midpoint, I think like probably when they're all like in Jody's apartment, I'm like, all right, I'm, I, this is pretty fun. Um, and there was like a scene where they were first like all armoring up and like getting all the stuff and like going out on their bikes. I was like, oh, this is like South London modern stranger things like all these boys just like using what they can adults not listening to them trying to like fight off monsters i was like i get it this is fun so uh i'm glad that i got to come around to it that definitely like stood out i noticed like toward the end i was like oh i'm like i'm like i'm into this (laughs) yeah and honestly that was my experience watching it first as well i'm like this is like like what's going on here like this is pretty silly but I'm glad that you uh, you came around to it uh, um, toward the end. What what else did you kind of like about this movie? Something that I was noticing while this is sort of like in between this question and the the next prompt, but something that I noticed while I was watching it was that I thought the score was really inviting. I thought mm. it was really in, like um, similar, you know, similar to like the score of Stranger Things is very like iconic on its own now. Like I felt like this score was like really good and like really stood out to me. Um, So it was done by Stephen Price, and this was also his first movie score. This is sort of like a big first for a couple of names that became famous. Um, I'll talk about that more, but he has now gone on to win an Academy Award for his score in Gravity, but he also had a hand in all three Lord of the Rings movies, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Batman Begins, which like all have incredible scores. Yeah, I was going to say those also kind of feel like you could see the signs of that or the see the flavors of that and attack the block um a a point i was trying to make earlier was um when you were relating it to stranger things i was i thought of goonies yeah oh Um, yeah very i mean it's very similar yeah like like, teenage boys are so dumb yeah but it makes for a good adventure movie (laughs) and like they do anything for each other like nothing else matters like when you're that age except like no questions what you need to do yeah exactly Um, willing to die for your friend yeah you kind of mentioned it but like what have you thought about the most since watching this movie? Yeah, so I definitely obviously the score and like looking up, uh, looking that up. But I did like that it sort of is like a mat, like a mix up between like if Shaun of the Dead met like a taking itself very seriously monster movie um, in the way where there is like some humor, especially British humor. Um, and also the guy who plays Ron is in the Shaun of the Dead movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that definitely worked. And like Edgar Wright had a hand in this movie. So of course that's like all, all sort of wrapped in together. But, um, I did like, uh, take note. It was like, it's a little bit more serious than Shaun of the Dead, which is like an outright parody. 
and like a comedy, but it's not as serious as like, I don't know, like The Mist or like any other sort of like monster movie that's supposed to be like super scary. Yeah. Like there is like some like ridiculous British humor that goes on in this one too. So I like that sort of like combination. I like any movie that like, I like any movie that is good at nodding toward an audience that is really into that genre. I guess like a good one would be um, Nope that just came out mm. um, by uh, J- Jordan Peele. It definitely had si- it had signs of sign, but uh, Jordan Peele, I thought the strength of that movie is sort of like he made a movie for movie watchers. Mm-hmm. And like there's so many aspects of other movies that are in that film that make it really good. It's like a huge homage in all sorts of way, obvious or not. And I think that like this did sort of like a good job of being like a, a genre version of that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I like that you brought up Shaun of the Dead because when I was watching it, I'm like, this is the most Edgar Wright movie that Edgar Wright hasn't directed. Um, and like that can go wrong, right? Like we've seen a lot of Tarantino knockoffs that are stupid and, and bad movies or, you know, people trying to be like Wes Anderson or Fincher. Um, yeah. But this one is pretty successful in my mind. Like it, it does, like you say, play at certain references if you understand genre or if you love movies or if you just enjoy like movies with your friends uh and adventure type stuff it, it really um is metatextual while also being able to kind of stand alone on its own yeah and this movie was under the production house big talk pictures which did make Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz which are both oh and scott pilgrim versus the world which are all edgar wright movies oh that makes sense um so i and i think that he got listed like really low down as like an executive producer so I'm sure he like commented on a few things just like by being around, but I know that like he did not like make this movie by any sense. In that sort of way of like it is very funny and it has like sort of a a, a parody aspect to it, but it does take itself a little seriously. I especially liked in the last scene, but it is like sprinkled throughout. The movie had a lot of very obvious notes about like race and ghettos and police violence and like especially in London. I, I did think that like this movie had a lot of like good notes to say about that without being like hitting you over the head with it. And it at the end, like the police not celebrating Moses as a savior, but like arresting him and his friends like that's probably what would have happened. Um, and I right. think that they like did a good job of including it without it being like this is now a movie about like race. Right. Yeah. And like it, it does pose a lot of like uh, situations, right? Like a movie opens with Jodie Whittaker, a woman walking on her own, and then getting mugged, right? And then like you're predisposed to not like these dumb teenage boys who are like using fireworks on Guy Fox night to like beat up the aliens. But then it comes around to like, all right, housing projects, and like when they all go to get their weapons or whatever, and they're all going into their um, own homes. It did make me think of Juice and like the opening <laughs> scene of yeah. Juice. I did too, actually. <laughs> I did think of Juice also. Which, I, who knows if that was any sort of reference, but it, it's just what I thought of. And um, it's interesting that this was John Boyega's debut because he's kind of been on this message like throughout his career in like not only how like the interviews he gives and, and all that, but also like in the projects that he, he is a part of, like Imperial Dreams. He, he, this, it touches on subjects like this. Um, in the small acts film he did with Steve McQueen, touches on kind of aspects of this and he's always been really uh, in the movie he cu- he came out with in 2022 breaking i know it touches on some of these similar themes and so it could have been more whiplashy in like the shifts of genre or like 
when he's talking about maybe the government sent these aliens but it's not for some reason and I, I don't know if it's in the performance or in the writing or something but i thought it was handled like pretty well for a movie that's pretty silly yeah i agree but i'm also glad that it wasn't not included like right, i think yeah. it was like like you have important. to include it yeah um and then another thing i've been thinking a lot about and i mentioned it a little bit before but uh, just how this was the debut for Stephen Price, who now went on to win an Academy Award, John Boyega, who's like one of the most like budding actors of our time, and the director Joe Cornish, who went on to make Ant Man and like has been involved in other oh. projects. Yeah, he made the first Ant Man. Um, so it was just sort of this like starting block for all of these like names that would become really big in the two in like the twenty tens, um, and as a movie that I love a lot that I think I've made you watch before, but um, Joe Cornish also said that watching the movie Signs um, and imagining what it would be like if it took place in South London was sort of his most, like, his biggest inspiration for writing this movie, which I think is great because I love Signs. I was going to say, I, I watched, that was one of the few, like, spooky-ish movies I watched growing up. Um, shout out to the gasping meme that uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a part of. Yeah. And uh, swing away, which is a, a line that lives rent free in my head. Um, yeah. But that that's funny. I know that um, Cornish also like he experienced like a mugging and kind of oh. drew on that experience plus the alien invasion thing um, to put this together. But yeah, it is really like you know how we were talking about in Girl Interrupted or in, in that same podcast we mentioned bodies, bodies, bodies. Like it, it wasn't necessarily the debut for a lot of those people, but it was very early in those careers. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like. Attack the Block is already that and is only going to continue to be that, um, yeah. especially as uh, Boyega and Whitaker kind of their careers continue to grow and whatnot. Yeah. Um, what else did you look up about this movie? I always want to know, like, how did people like it at the beginning? Obviously, movies that we've done in the past, like Casablanca or Creed, I had like some sort of idea how it was received originally, but this movie I didn't know really anything about. Um it had like a pretty complex run, so it definitely flopped in America. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was the third most successful movie the weekend it came out, and that's behind Thor and Fast Five, which are uh franchise situations and like predisposed to make a ton of money. Straight up blockbusters. So like, like that's incredible that's really solid, <laughs> in my opinion, for just like a like a silly fun sci-fi movie by a guy no one's heard of featuring a guy no one's heard of <laughs> like to be yeah. that success like that's cool i, I, I wonder liked that i wonder how much it being like shadow produced by edgar wright helped with that um, i'm sure that there's at least and one it being so grounded in like, south london as well you know yeah i'm sure there's at least one trailer that has something like from the production house of Sean right. of no, the for Dead. Right, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things like that. Um, but it did win the Audience Award at South by Southwest that year, which is always very exciting on the Midnights, um, which is very fun. Blind Spotters to South by, one year, man. I know, Blind Spotters to any festival. I know. Um, but as we've talked about cult movies before, and uh, I feel like a lot of the movies I make you watch end up becoming cult movies, so much like why I like them, but. This has like achieved true cult movie status. The people who know know, and um, but I mean, it made it onto Wired Magazine's top movies of the 2010s, and a ton of movies came out during that time. Obviously, so 
it's exciting that like it made it onto that list and that people are recognizing it. It has like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, not an accurate score of anything, but uh, just like people really like it. Yeah. And, you know, I was hesitant to suggest this movie because it is it doesn't have as big of a like mainstream reputation as some of the other movies I've I've uh, had you watch. But because of like it roundly being praised and it appearing on a lot of the end of decades lists, I was like, OK, I think I'm not completely out of pocket for uh, <laughs> suggesting this very small movie. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that you kind of saw that, like, you know, it, it was if not financially successful, critically successful. Did you look up anything else about it? Yeah, I wanted to know um, if it was based on anything, and it's not. It's completely original. Um, about halfway through the movie, it sort of gave me like video game vibes. I was like, oh, maybe this was like a video game became a movie. So I looked that up, but um, no, it's just completely a completely original movie. Fuck I yeah. Think the, yeah, the part that was very video gamey to me is whenever they were starting to get strapped up with whatever their weapons were. Um, yeah. Like, Choose your weapon. Choose your yeah. fighter. Um, and and then like all the, yeah, all the platforming that kind of happens in the movies and, and stuff like that. I, I think a fun aspect of this movie, not only it being original, but it, it it didn't feel like hamstrung by silly circumstances. It was like, yeah. okay, these are kids who are in like the projects basically in South London. Of course, they're not going to have like unlimited texting. Yeah, that was good. That was funny. Like stuff that makes sense. Like. Oh, like there's a bunch of fireworks going off because of the night it is in London, and and like of course the police are gonna be like <laughs> not believing that there's these gorilla wolf motherfuckers like killing them. Of course it's gonna be um, them thinking it's the kids uh, running amok. Um, so I thought it was smart in the ways it created problems, especially as someone who watches rom coms and it's always so dumb the way they have like their miscommunication. I thought this stuff was like pretty pretty uh intelligent about the way it went yeah um do you have any questions for me about this movie <laughs> yes <laughs> i want to know how did you find this movie <laughs> what did this start did yeah. you watch it like young did you go back no. to it because of john boyega how did this happen um so it was definitely uh it was multifaceted one part was you know being in a, a star wars head um wanting to know more about John Boyega a lot of the pieces about him recite this movie as his breakout because obviously it was his debut um another part was at the end of the decade as I went through like many of the lists Attack the Block was on it and then uh definitively one of our kind of I think mutual north stars when it comes to movies and movie discovery uh one Sean Fennessy has this ranked 60th on his top movies of the 2010s um (laughs) crazy (laughs) (laughs) but it also makes sense um and so during during 2020 i finally was like all right you know what let's like actually watch this movie we have the time um and it was it was a real joy i i was hesitant because i wasn't sure if it was like scary um there's a couple jump scares and stuff like that and the monsters are freaky and like incredibly dark and like i really love the design of them but anyway uh the end of 2019 um it was really put on the radar continuously. And I think I probably saw like a bright wall, dark room piece about it as well. That kind of, uh, that backed it. So, um, you know, shout out to all the list makers, all the people who were like giving people shit about the, you know, who cares about what your thoughts are in the 2010s movies. They, they matter to a degree. Uh, if you, it, um, if you find the right people to, to follow and trust, you can find some cool movies. Um, and then in May, 2021, was announced that Joe Cornish will be making a sequel 
and that John Boyega has signed on to reprise his role as Moses. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about that? I'm into it. I know that Boyega is involved in the production and writing of the movie. Um, oh, that's cool. So I think, one, it's cool that Boyega, a decade later, is kind of, in a way, like coming home and, and like having his own hand in this very cool like franchise situation. I do like the potential of like a franchise that is just a cult franchise are the aliens back or you know what's everybody up to how are um how's mayhem and probs doing you know (laughs) i hope hope they're in it (laughs) like how's pest uh yeah and so i think there's a lot of potential with this especially like i said given john boyega's career and like you know he he has he was in three star wars movies and he is 30 years old he can do whatever he wants probably at this point yeah if it's like if we get to attack the block five and they're going to space like i might have some questions yeah. Um, but we're not there yet. If it stays grounded on the block, like I love it. Yeah. Um, do you have any questions or things that you'd like to say uh, for me? I have a few. One, uh, and this is a shout out to Hi Hats. What would your alien killing anthem be? This one at first was like very um, contemplative because I, of course, as a uh, music is important mm-hmm. person. I wanted to have the right answer, but then as soon as I thought about it, I was like, yes, of course, that's the right answer. And the answer is Cherry Bomb. Cherry Bomb is great. That's that's fun. Yeah. That, I just feel like swinging a, swinging a bat around, like, crushed yeah. in alien heads. That's, like, the obvious choice for me. Cherry. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's a great choice. What's your anthem? Who Dat Boy would probably get me into a state of mind. Yeah. I've also thought about Many Men by 50 Cent. Um, oh, that is a good one. I think uh, Humble by Kendrick Lamar would be another really good one. No, because I don't want to sit down. I need to get up. I, I, you can ignore that singular line. It, it's, the, <laughs> it's the hook. I guess so. <laughs> like, but like if like, you're about to kill aliens, you, don't, you should not be humble. No, but I just feel like as soon as you clock an alien across the face... My left stroke just went viral. Plays that's yeah. badass in slow no, motion. So I think I think it's got to be backseat freestyle. That's a really good one. <laughs> um, Maybe that's what I'm. I know that's not what I'm lyrically thinking of, but I think that might be the mood wise atti- attitude I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of one liners, a lot of slang, a lot of phrases in this film. Are there any of the favorites for you? Um, I mean, I love a bruv. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did text you that this, the, um, character that Daniel Kaluuya plays in Skins is also from South London mm-hmm. and he uses a lot of this slang. It's like part of his characters that like, no one has any idea what the fuck he's saying. <laughs> and like, he's just like so excited all the time. So it was like fun to sort of like live in that world a little bit. Um, but I love the reference of referring to the, uh, police car as a bully van oh yeah that that's something i've heard and i it is good every time (laughs) i also love how loose they are with just saying love yeah i mean i think like uh, amanda went to london once at 12 and stopped like couldn't stop (laughs) saying love every time um so i do that all the time especially especially as a bartender yeah Um, i do it all the time but i think one of my other favorite lines that i'm like i feel like i've said that before is believe me, I'd go out there myself if I wasn't so profoundly stoned. <laughs> I love the idea of just being like, I have absolutely texted someone and been like, I would help you, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. That's so funny. 
um and it, it also it's it's fun because like a lot of the most of these actors um were picked from like south london drama classes basically or they were local to the area so this was all very natural to them they weren't trying to speak out of pocket love that i'm just gonna run off a few different lines really quick um, i had a feeling <laughs> yeah we should call the police you'd be better off calling the ghostbusters love oh that's a good one i like that one too hurry up guys we gotta catch them all calm down bigs this ain't pokemon I did catch that one. That's like said like in passing too, but I still caught it. <laughs> this is the one I'll finish with. <laughs> What's Ron's weed room? It's a big room full of weed and it's Ron's. <laughs> Boys are so dumb. <laughs> but like, it's a good name and it's no. the safest place they know. It's like the crypt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last thing. Would you want to watch this movie again? I would. Do you want to watch my movie again? <laughs> now I'm getting confrontational. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't know. <laughs> wonder if Louis would like this movie. Can we add, would Louie like this movie to our categories? Yes. Yes! <laughs> See, if anything, I'm glad I watched Interview with a Vampire strictly to like make this bit. Again, like I, I think I pick movies that I think you might like, but I think are just like movies you should watch attack the block is by far the most meaningless movie in terms of like the quote-unquote canon mm-hmm. it's still like you know it's still important it's still like it's cool to like if you're in a conversation with film people and you're like attack the block rules it'll be like oh you've watched attack the block like yeah um and, and that's and, like the best part of cult movies like, like interview that. with the vampire literally made like 200 million dollars which movie did you like the most out of the two i don't know i was thinking about that as they're I was very watching. different yeah, the, I think that this question might be nil and void for this episode. These movies are like, in, like even though they probably have the most in common out of any movies we've fared, I feel like these movies, maybe besides like Rocky Horror Picture Show and Creed, have truly nothing to do with each other. <laughs> and they're like made completely differently for like completely different reasons and like all that kind of stuff. I uh, opt to not answer. Okay. Let's let's talk about the next ones. The next movie swap you guys are going to listen to after this is going to be for November. So we wanted to do a little family movie, um, some family problems. You know, it's the holiday season. We're getting you in the mood for hanging out with your complicated families. So, um, Zach, I am going to have you watch the movie The Kids Are All Right, which is a movie I think is not weird and I think you will like. <laughs> Watch me being like, oh, it was kind of tame, Amanda. I was expecting more. <laughs> it's definitely probably the tamest movie I've had you watch. <laughs> it's also probably the most basic movie, but I really like it. So, and uh, that that's totally okay. And I'm gonna have you watch Warrior, which I don't know anything about. This might be the hottest Tom Hardy. Oh, that's fun. I yeah. like Tom Hardy. I think he's a real hottie. So yeah. that's good. I'm excited to watch this movie because it's around the like. It has like a pretty high approval rating in terms of like the sport that it pertains to. Like, you know, like some football movies suck to football mm-hmm. players or whatever. Um, I have heard combat sports athletes and martial artists um, are like, yeah, this is good. This is a good one. It's from the director of Miracle, according to the poster, which yeah. is a- another movie that people who like that sport think is a good movie. Oh, yeah, that's included. true. He also directed The Way Back, which is like a pretty good basketball movie. Unsuccessful in other spots, but um, nice. I know nothing about the kids are all right, except for I know the poster is blue with yellow lettering. And that's true. I think Mark Ruffalo is in it. 
That's also true. I also think Josh Hutcherson's in it. That is also true. That's you know it. a lot about this movie. But I don't know if the kids are all right. <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> the center of the film. Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, other than these two movies that we really know nothing about, truly going in blind, uh, what else is on your watch list? I know you haven't been able to watch a ton of movies lately, but what is on the docket? On my watch list is movies. <laughs> I just like, can't <laughs> just wait to watch. watching stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just like can't wait to watch a movie. Um, but there's a few movies that um, I've clocked. Obviously, like, I'm okay. I We got to talk for just a second. I'm sorry. I know this is the end. It's a long episode. But like on the last podcast, I said that I was very excited to watch Don't Worry Darling and that even <laughs> if the movie is bad, I will think it's good. I would just like to put like a little asterisk. On. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I will be seeing it next week. Um, but you know, the drama, um, <laughs> no, what are you I, talking about? <laughs> I also stand in the camp and maybe cut this if you think this is a bad look, but I stand in the camp that I think it would have been just like more fun if Harry Styles had spit on Chris Pine. Like that would have been way more. Oh interesting. yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Like it's like, I'm not, I mean, we're not advocating for spitting on people. No, but if Harry Styles had spit on Chris Pine, I'd be like, that is way more interesting than he didn't. We might have had an emergency podcast with Maya. Yeah, about, absolutely. About blind spotters, like camera angles. Yeah, exactly. Maya famously misses Pine. <laughs> so, <laughs> but also just, like Mrs. Styles. Yeah. I would also just like to say, so I am going to see the movie. I do think I'm going to like it, but I have very different expectations now than I did then. Um, yeah. That's all I wanted to say. What well, I was on my watch list, aside from Don't Worry Darling, is um, a few movies. One movie that is on streaming called Reservation Road, which also features Mark Ruffalo. Um, I've heard it has not had good reviews, but it has a lot of actors I like, and it looks sort of like a thriller. So that's usually all I need. Um, so that looks good. Pearl is coming out is the mm. prequel to X, which was one of the best movies I saw this year. Um, it there is listeners. There's still a lot of movies to come out. Will X make my list? Probably not. But was I like very excited that X was good? Yes. So I'm excited to see Pearl. And I've heard really good things about it so far. So that's also very exciting. And then I'm seeing Barbarian almost as soon as humanly possible. I know it's out already. Everybody I know has like texted me and been like, you have to see this movie. People are saying it's scary as all get out. And um, I'm very excited because it's. I feel like maybe once every other year do we get like a good horror movie that's actually scary. So I am very excited that people are like, Barbarian is nuts. So I'm going to try to see it in theaters. What are you watching? <laughs> well, uh, I also want to watch Don't Worry Darling. We'll talk about it next pod for sure. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Um, I want to see, see how they run. Uh, you know, there's a lot of movies in theaters I want to see right now. Um, yeah, you mentioned that, that in a previous podcast, but. Uh, the Woman King with Viola Davis looks. I heard it's really good. Sick. It looks so fun. Um, really love a action epic if that's what this movie is. But um, I don't know too much about it, so I'm, I am excited about it. I also want to watch Fire Island, which is that Hulu movie that came out. I believe it's a riff on Pride and Prejudice, if I've heard um, correctly. So um, it's it's great. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I almost d double featured it with Good Luck to Leo Grand. Um, just because they're both on Hulu, um, but mm -hmm. I ran out of time one night, so I do want to watch that movie. As I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch the movies that have come out in 2022 before 
the onslaught of the festival season and the award season comes and then uh, some of these smaller movies kind of just get lost in the shuffle and then lastly a movie that's not in theaters and hasn't been in theaters in decades uh tango and cash a two-hander with sylvester stallone and kurt russell um some of my coworkers have been like adamant that i watched this movie it seems like a fun slightly stupid film which um, we always need especially given the fact that we are so busy um with our day-to-day yeah. jobs so uh excited for all those as well not gonna ever see barbarian not gonna ever see pearl but i'm excited for you to see it i'm so excited about pearl i i really liked and you and i have talked about this a lot but in x it had a really really good final girl and Mm. that is like not as common anymore because it's such a trope Mm -hmm. um and it was just like a perfect homage to texas chainsaw massacre um, which is a movie that like all these decades later, like still really holds up. Zach, don't watch it. You will not like no, it. No. Yeah. <laughs> it is graphic, um. <laughs> but it is extremely good. Yeah. Um, so to see someone do that and not have it feel like, like campy or a ripoff, like a true homage was like really exciting. So I'm excited for Pearl. And again, I've heard it's gotten really good reviews. So that's also yeah. like very positive. Well, we're going to enjoy those movies. We're going to enjoy the movies we have coming up, but we got to get out of here, dude. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. It's a real pleasure. Again, I like this podcast, so this is fun. (laughs) It's a good (laughs) podcast with movies that are good. (laughs) You can always find a new episode of this podcast on the second Tuesday of the month. As we get closer to the end of the month, we'll definitely start having some more bonus episodes. Um, so watch out for that. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at BlindSpottersPod. And you can follow us on Twitter at BlindSpotters. Zach, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at ZachPockFub. And as always, you can follow me on Letterboxd. Where can people find you? You can send any compliments my way at Amanda Liberto on all social media. Um, and then you can also tell me which movie you think Zach should have liked that I've given him. <laughs> no, tell us which movies you think Louie likes. Oh, yeah, that's way better. <laughs> Take my personal beef out of this. Uh, <laughs> send me any compliments and which movies you think Louie would like. Um, do you think he's team Harry and Olivia or do you think he's team Chris and Miss Flo? What do you, mm. where do you think he would lie in this drama? Wow. Um, I think he might be in uh, maybe like... Um, Nick Kroll's camp where he's like I'm not a part of this <laughs> please don't involve me the Gemma Chan era of like this is not for me I'm just here <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, any of that is good shout out to, shout out to Florence P's grandma yes oh, what a queen I want to see those pictures from the um, from the disposable camera that Chris Pine had team film yeah it, hashtag film is not dead hashtag shoot film stay broke hashtag 35 millimeter um i follow both of our film accounts <laughs> at transparent negatives at photos. um <laughs> the thing is chris pine doesn't have an instagram i know chris pine doesn't even have a smartphone which is like good for him <laughs> honestly i want to be that famous like you know sir sharonin's not online yes. i want that this is how i feel so i've always said that i want to be famous enough to not have an email address that's oh, what i want that's that spectacular I I hate emails and I want to be famous. I'd still like a smartphone, but I would like to not have an email. Address. I would just that want would burners. Awesome. Yeah. No, don't send me any emails, even if we're friends. You, uh, you want to send me a shipping announcement? No, I don't. I don't need it. I'll just find out when it comes to my door one day. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, I hope you have a good spooky season. Let me know what you're watching. Bye. Bye.
Call Simon Cowell. Aliens got talent.